The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, how are we doing this week, man? Only one disclaimer, so I guess it's going to be a good show. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I, are you standing? Because I know that you put your athleticism to the test with a uh, newfound sport uh, that you're now pursuing. That's really impressive that you called it athleticism. Well, I feel honored. What it is? And yes, I am sore. I'm, I'm getting over it, but I am sore. But, but I have not given up on my Olympic dream. I've told you I'm going to find a sport and I'm going to find a sport. Basketball obviously was not it. <laughs> we still have curling. And now we have pickleball as long as they have like an over 50 category. But you know, pickleball isn't a sport in the Olympics, right? Not yet. So you're just looking for sports to compete. Hey, hey, get you're good at, you can do the lobbying part of this. I'm sure you can get this done. You know, it's much easier to start at the top of the mountain than to walk up the hill, man. <laughs> That's so not... what, what sport am I supposed to start at the top of the mountain? Not, if it's skiing, not, not happening. The NFL is looking into flag football. You could definitely take a flag off of somebody's waist. Have you seen me run? <laughs> Who am I running away from? Well, look, me, nobody, <laughs> me, but you're not trying to play against that. That's only because they have longer legs, uh, not because I'm faster. We're going to get in a few minutes. Jeff Fletcher will join us. Uh, Orange County registered to talk about his new Shohei Otani book. Jeff, let's talk baseball for a minute. Because or two. one Jeff isn't enough. Yes, that's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Two Jeffs better than one. Just uh, like the second half of the show, one Michigan player isn't enough. This is true. Well, one, one Michigan person. I wasn't a player. But. Yeah, I won't be joining that. Or maybe I will later in the show. We'll you see. might. Not you just true. might. We so, might. We might take you over to the light side. So the Phillies are back here before the All Star break starts. After two games in Toronto, we'll talk more about that maybe after Jeff gets off because that was its own situation of disappointment. Uh, at least they weren't the Royals. Oh, who decided that half of their team couldn't make it. And then won. They won the they won game one of the four game series. I am going to ask you a question. I'm not going to wait. Uh, I'm going to ask you now. You have been JT's biggest fan for you the longest time. Extremely disappointed. Uh, uh, you don't even let me finish my question. I've just, just should have said nothing. Finish your question, but he just should have said nothing. It would have been better. Do they, do they just not learn? Like, do baseball players not get the memos? No. it's We talk to plenty of athletes who get it, and you thought that, you know, he got it. I understand he's trying to say, I'll make my own decisions. Okay, we could agree or disagree on that. But to say I'm not going to have another country tell me what to do for a little bit of money well, that little bit of money becomes relative when it's $260,000, which a lot of people wouldn't consider a little bit of money. And I know you don't compare yourself to athletes, but you're talking about a business of public perception as much as anything else. What and, happens if what happens if the Phillies miss the playoffs by two games? Well, look, I mean, it's the same thing we talked about when with the Sixers with uh, with Matisse Seibel not being able to mm-hmm. play in Toronto. Anytime right. you have athletes that, that choose to make a decision that impacts the larger team, when all we hear about is doing things for the team regularly, there's going to be larger discussions about it. Let's leave it there, but we'll let's, let's talk baseball. to a Jeff who knows more about baseball than me. Absolutely. Angels, Orange County Register beat writer and author of the new book, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played published through diversion books. Jeff, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. 
Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a really impressive book that you got out. I'm fascinated by the story of, of how you got it out. It, it comes out this month, but you had some starts and stops along the way. This wasn't a straight through. I'm going to write it. Can you tell us the backstory of how Showtime came about? Yeah, well, in 2018 was uh, when Otani first debuted in the major leagues, and it was pretty apparent pretty quickly that he was actually able to do this two-way thing that nobody had done in 100 years. And so at that point, you know, the, the book project began to write a book about his first season in the major leagues, and I got about a quarter of the way through it, and then in June he blew out his elbow and couldn't pitch anymore, and the project was tabled. And the the publisher at the time said, let's, you know, see what happens when he pitches again and we'll talk about it again. Well, he didn't pitch in 2019. Nothing happened. 2020, he came back and pitched a little bit and got hurt again and it was terrible and nothing happened. So I kind of figured it was dead. Uh, and then 2021, all of a sudden, he's incredible again. And uh, now, you know, the uh, the project was revived. And at the end of the season, I put together, you know, what I had written before and I added a whole bunch to it just on the the season itself and some other little uh, sidebars I went off to about Babe Ruth and other two-way players in like the Negro Leagues and uh, threw it all together uh, over the winter. Sometimes things happen for a reason. You now have him, this book coming out on the 19th when he is at the top of his game. He is having another incredible season. What is it like for you to watch him on a day-to-day basis? And does it ever get tiring? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say I feel pretty fortunate that he has done this because there were certainly no guarantees uh, when the season began that he was going to do it again because he didn't do it in his first three years in the major leagues, have that kind of season. So I was a little nervous that between writing the book and people reading the book that he was going to get hurt or slump or whatever. So thankfully that did not happen and he's he's great again. And uh, I do feel very lucky to to be able to see what he's doing and I try not to take it for granted, try to appreciate, you know, how incredible it is to see a guy who's legitimately one of the top starting pitchers in the game and can throw 101 miles an hour. And then he comes out and he hits a 450 foot Homer. So that's, it's pretty incredible. You go back on the journey of, of how Shohei got here, his upbringing in Japan and, and how focused he was on baseball from an early age, including listing his baseball goals. Can you talk about his development and focus since he was a very young child? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much always been committed to to being a great Major League Baseball player. And he made this list in high school. His, his coach had the, the players all do, like, lists of their goals for the future. And he had this very specific plan that he wrote about what age he was going to get to the Major Leagues and what age he was going to pitch his first no-hitter and when he was going to win his, you know, Cy Young Award in the Major Leagues and et cetera, et cetera. And at the time, <clears throat> he was really just thought he was going to be a pitcher in the major leagues. It's what all his goal was. And then it really shifted when uh, the Nippon Am fighters, in order to convince him to actually start his career in Japan and not go straight to the minor leagues in the U.S., said, hey, you can be a two-way player if you do this. And then I think that was really what kind of started that whole part of his journey. And, And obviously it worked out pretty well. Well, and it, it wasn't just the expectations he had for himself. That obviously built up the expectations for the people over there. And can you talk about, you know, you mentioned other athletes, two-way players you covered. He was known as the Babe Ruth of Japan. What was the expectations and pressure on him coming over to play here for the Angels? 
Uh, you mean in Japan? The expectations it, there or over here? Over here in the States, when once he came over, what was that like? And was there more pressure over there to play in front of the home fans than there was to come over here and do it on the big stage for what people would consider the majors? Yeah, well, I'm sure that over there, uh, you know, they loved what he did and they, you know, there's a lot of pride in Japanese players that they want to see them come succeed in the major leagues. So I'm sure there was a, there were a lot of people in Japan that were rooting very hard for him and really did not want to see him fail because they had loved what he did in Japan so much. And as far as over here, I think there was a lot of skepticism that he could really do it just because nobody had done it in a hundred years. And, you know, it's the major leagues are a better league than Japan and it's harder to do anything, let alone something that nobody else has done. And his first spring training in 2018, he was really not very good at all. So I think that just added to all the, uh, the questions and uh, he just really, kind of flipped the switch. He made some mechanical adjustments. He, he needed to learn a little about the, the players he was facing. And he really was pretty incredible how he put those fears to rest pretty much once the 2018 season started. And then after that, it was just a matter of staying healthy. And it, it took him a little while to, to get back to that. You know, like a lot of people who write uh, books on, on athletes, you didn't have a ton of help from, from the subject. What did you <laughs> learn uh, most from the people around him about Shohei Otani and what kind of person he is? Uh, yeah, I think what, what you really learn is that he is very single-minded and committed to baseball, and that's really all he wants to do is just be the best baseball player he can be. But he is not, that's not to say that he's some robot that just goes to the ballpark and then goes to sleep in his little cone or whatever, and then comes back. He, he's a, he's a really a uh, lighthearted guy. He's got a great personality. He jokes around with his teammates a lot. He jokes around with the media. Sometimes uh, you can see him on the field uh, kind of joke around with the other players, players who speak English and Spanish, and certainly nobody else who speaks Japanese, but he's, he's a uh, really has a good time, you know, living this life that he's living. He's, he's really enjoying it to the fullest, I think. One of the people you talked to who wrote the forward for the book was Joe Madden, who talked about how important taking the shackles off was as a huge part of his success, despite some of the early struggles. Can you talk more about how no one really got in the way of his success? Because, you know, in the era of pitch counts and other limitations placed on athletes, it seems like Shohei kind of got the ability to follow that path. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was no blueprint for how a two-way player was supposed to function in the major leagues in 2018. So what the Angels were doing was they gave him a lot of uh, days off, like the day before he pitched and after he pitched. He didn't hit. Uh, he didn't hit the same day that he pitched. And all of this was because they, they really wanted to keep him strong and keep him from getting injured and maximize his performance. Well, that didn't really work because he still got injured and he still had some struggles of performance. And so after three years of that, finally, before the 2021 season, you know, it, it helped with a new general manager, Perry Manassian, came in. And between him and, and Shohei and Joe Madden, they kind of said, look, let's just forget all that. Let's just play. Let's just play baseball like we did in Little League. You go play. You're going you're gonna to hit and you're going to pitch and you're going to do it every day unless you tell us that you need a break. And let's just see how that goes. And it it just sort of started working and they didn't stop it all year. And it was a pretty remarkable thing. You know, you, you talk about some of the struggles. He's somebody who hasn't had a straight line to success, despite his amazing, amazing success between injuries and struggles. 
In the book, you talk about his ability to to adjust and make tweets citing different times along the way. Can you talk about his ability as an athlete to make adjustments that make him better? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a thing that I hope a lot of people get out of the book is that, you know, a lot of people knew he was this superstar in Japan, and then he came to the United States and ended up being a superstar here. But like you said, there was a big roller coaster, and, you know, he made a really big adjustment in 2018 right away when the season started where he had this big leg kick in Japan and it just wasn't working against major league caliber pitchers. It just, he could not get his timing right. So pretty much a couple days before the season, the hitting coach said, why don't you just dump the leg kick? And he basically just at the drop of a hat, just changed his swing dramatically and started hitting. And a lot of other players looked at that and just could not believe that you could make that significant of a change on a dime. Uh, which he did. And then, you know, another thing that you can look at is uh, in 2021, when he started out the season, he was walking a lot of guys. Uh, he wasn't able to get deep in games because his pitch count was getting high. So all of a sudden, you know, he, he just continued kind of refining his mechanics a little bit. He added a cutter, which is a pitch that's just good for getting, you know, quick outs to get soft contact. And all of a sudden the walks just disappeared. He was getting deeper into the games. His, his hundred pitches were getting him six or seven innings instead of four or five innings. And, all this was just, you know, a, a, an improvement as he went. And then this season, he's even gotten still better. He's been able to throw with a higher velocity and still throw strikes. He's been able to, you know, his slider has gotten a lot better this year. So now between the splitter and the slider, he has these two wipeout pitches. So if he gets ahead, you know, hitters are in, are in big trouble. So he has continued to evolve all along. It's not just some, you know, incredible raw talent. It's it's incredible raw talent plus, you know, an ability to to adjust and learn. You're you're watching a player that isn't just good on both sides of the ball. This is a guy, as you just said, who throws a hundred miles an hour, and at the same time can launch a ball out of any ballpark with with relative ease. And and I've heard you say that there's no precedent for this. How long do you think that he can continue to do this? And is there, is there concern in baseball or at least in the Angels organization about how long they can let him do this without risking his health? That's a great question, and I have no idea what the answer is. I, I don't think he's going to do this for 10 years, uh, you know, like a, a normal, you know, one-way pitcher or, or DH, you know, at his age, you would think that that would be possible, but... I don't know if he's going to make it that long. So how long is he going to make it? Is it going to be another two years, five years, six years? We have no idea uh, just because it's never happened. Even Babe Ruth only did it for two years, really. And then he was like kind of done with it. He just wanted to hit. So uh, we really don't know. And that's why I think his next contract, you know, he's a free agent after 23, is going to be fascinating to see uh, how somebody structures a deal for him when there's really so many questions about his future. If he had to make a choice, which one do you think he would choose, pitching or hitting? Um, he's been asked that a lot before, and he never really answers uh, because he really likes doing both. And I think he's better when he does both because in the 2019 uh, and 2020 seasons when he didn't pitch, a lot of people said, oh, think of what a better hitter he'll be when he's not worrying about pitching, but he was actually worse. So I think he needs that balance. So he certainly has not shown any interest in choosing one or the other. I think he's better as a pitcher. He's just been more consistent. Uh, you know, injury is the only thing that's ever stopped him as a pitcher. Whereas as a hitter, he does go through slumps, you know, for a month or so where he's 
pulling the ball a little too much, striking out too much, swinging out of the zone a little bit. Uh, he doesn't really have those problems as a pitcher. So I think he's better as a pitcher. Jeff and I have talked a lot about, you know, when the Phillies athletes have struggles and they're coming up, the lack of patience at times with some of the struggles, the position changes, what's a perceived lack of confidence. The Angels never really had a doubt with Shohei. Can you talk about the confidence they had from the start, not sending him to the minors? Well, they, they had a lot of, uh, they basically felt like he'd performed for five years in the second best league in the world in Japan. So they were willing to let that supersede what they had seen in six weeks of spring training. And then once he did it, then certainly there was no reason to, to doubt him. And then after that, it was just a question of health. And I do think, though, that there were some doubts coming into 21, just because 2020 had been such a disaster for him, that I think that, you know, when they started in 2020, he actually started, like, taking some fly balls in the outfield and some ground balls at first base, just in case, you know, the pitching never came back. But I do think going into 2021, there was some skepticism, even within the Angels, that he really could do it. And I think that was part of the reason that they were willing to kind of put the pedal to the metal as far as letting him play and taking the restrictions off to just sort of, let's just see what he can do. And, you know, if he fails, then, you know, we gave it our best shot and we'll we'll try something else. And uh, obviously it, it worked and they didn't have to do that. Now, the one thing that Otani appears not to want to do is he's not participating in the home run derby. Why do you think it is that this year he decided that he didn't want to participate? In it? Uh, well, he hasn't told us that yet, uh, but I probably it has something to do with just, you know, the fatigue. Uh, last year he was pretty exhausted and he only did one round. And then he was the starting pitcher the next day. So I think that he would probably like to be the starting pitcher again this year. And I think that Major League Baseball probably would like that too for the, the ratings. So, uh, you know, he's done the Derby. He he gave everybody the, the look at what that looked like. And he had the experience of it. And I think uh, it's probably just, you know, he'd be better off just kind of resting for the day and then put on the show in the actual game on Tuesday. So with the game coming up, I just wanted to ask you one more question before we let you go, not book related. Jeff and I talk a lot about the MLB rule changes. You're somebody who's watched baseball for 25 years. Looks like we're heading to a pitch clock, potentially um, robo balls and strikes. Now this week I see the pie rule for the shift. Your thoughts on some of the rules changes in the state of baseball. Yeah. I mean, I think that baseball's biggest problem really is uh, the, the strikeouts and the lack of action. I think that's the biggest thing that they need to address. Uh, all these other things, the shift, I don't know that that's really going to make too much of a difference. Uh, the pitch clock is nice. It's going to speed the games up a little bit, but, but I think what we really need to do is figure out a way to get the ball in play more and not have so many strikeouts and walks. And I don't know that they've really come up with the right answer for that. I mean, I think one of the possible things is that would take a few years is to uh, have less pitchers on the roster. So the pitchers more have to pitch to contact to get through multiple innings instead of just coming out for one inning, 15 pitches, pitching like your hair's on fire and striking everybody out and somebody else comes in the next inning. I think that's something that we don't necessarily want to see. I'd rather see a guy come in, have to throw two or three innings and get some ground balls and let the fielders work. And it's just a more entertaining game. So that's the change I would like to see. These other changes that have happened, they don't really bother me. I don't think they're going to really make a huge difference in the way the game looks. Oh, we will see if baseball follows your lead. 
Uh, the book, again, is Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. Jeff, best of luck with the book. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk about it with us, and we hope we get to talk to you again one day. All right, cool. Thanks for having me. You have a great one. Jeff, what a, what a cool situation to have a front row seat for history like that. Like He's been covering baseball for 25 years out in the Bay Area, so, I mean, he saw Bond. I mean, he's seen some things things and to watch Shohei right up front. That's pretty cool. You, you know, when Shohei started doing both things, I was impressed, but I was like, okay, how long is this going to last? Is this kind of a sideshow? But it's not. And and it really, to see a guy throw 101 miles an hour and then go up to the plate the next inning and hit a home run 450 feet. That had a 115 miles an hour off the bat. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about something that has never been done in the history of baseball. No, it's it's pretty amazing. And that's why when you when you said we had the chance to talk to him, I was like, okay, that's really cool. Because how often and he plays out on the West Coast. So on the East Coast, you don't see it as much like we're kind of missing out on history. Well, and we can't talk to Shohei because he doesn't really talk. No, he doesn't seem to want to offer many takes. But he does seem like fun. I mean, I got to say, when he's pitching, he's fist bumping. When, you know, he, he's doing all of the things that, like, we're seeing younger athletes do. You know, the stuff that my generation doesn't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've decided that I'm just going to take away all your lines. Yeah, seriously, if you say it, how am I supposed to be able to say it? Uh, you know what? Next week, you could just not come in. Well, <laughs> see about that. Jeff, why don't we head to break when we come back? Oh, God, I got two Michigan men. What am I going to do with myself? By the end of this, we're going to have three. Stick with us. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825. Repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Excited to be joined by Jamie Morris, Michigan all-time rushing leader and co-host of the M-Zone on WTKA, The Ticket. Jamie, how you doing? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? Oh, And oh, by the way, yes, I, I am fourth all-time leading rusher now. I've slid down oh. quite a bit. There's a story about that, though. You know, uh, Mike Hart is the all-time leading rusher. Anthony Thomas is uh, the second. And, yes, I know my place, but they decided. Remember Deshaun, um, uh Shoelace? Yep. Uh, Denard Robinson? The, the, the football administrator decided in when he got drafted and he became a running back for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, they put his yardage over in the running back category, which slid me down. Oh, I got so beef with that. Be, he, he should be over in the quarterback area, but he has been moved over to the running back area. So, yeah, I am the fourth all-time leading rusher. No, no, but see, Jamie, not to me because time stopped when we graduated from college. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. And I appreciate that. God bless you. And what, we, and what we do need to do is we need to alert Wikipedia or figure out how to change it because it still has you as the leading rusher. 
I love that Wikipedia guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have, I'll keep paying him. <laughs> so, so, Jamie, we wanted to have you on, obviously, for to talk a lot about college football and college sports. Um, before we get to this crazy realignment that's been going on, can we just get one thing out of the way? Because I hear this from from the Michigan faithful that, that I talk to all the time, which is the panic over recruiting rankings a year plus out. Can you can you please just help us calm those people down that that means nothing? Jamie, I'd like to point out we don't have those concerns at Rutgers. We're not quite Michigan, so we don't. We, we just looked at this year. Well, I expected you to come out and hit me with, uh, you know, Rutgers on top of Michigan this year, you know, in recruiting so far right now. But we've had a couple of resignings, so we, we we're starting to right the ship. And Jeff, you're right. Look, there are some concerns. We have a lot of things that happen. This past season, we had a great season this past season, getting a chance to win a Big Ten championship, go to the college football playoffs and participate in in the final four of college football. But what happened was, is we didn't take advantage of it fully right away. And I think what happened was, is you had Jim Harbaugh uh, entertain the NFL instead of being at at, at, on campus in Ann Arbor on National Signing Day. He was in Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, talking to the Minnesota Vikings. That's being used against us. The NIL, it's um, Michigan decided to do it a different way. While everybody else is doing it another way, Michigan decided to do another way, and it's kind of confusing to the recruits. So we are a little slow, but things are starting to pick up now. Things are starting to pick up, and so – no more worries. I think we're moving in the right direction. You know, you mentioned NIL, and we'll, we'll get to realignment. I was going to go there, but it, it kind of fits with where we are. Talk about NIL as a recruiting tool. And and with some of these schools, you know, Michigan's not a school that doesn't have access to private funds, but you Mm-mm. said they went a different route. Does this widen the gap between the haves and have-nots or – widen the gap between the people who are willing to figure it out and the people who are want to take a different route. Like where does this create a divide in, in how schools handle NIL? Well, I'm just going to say it like this. If you were cheating, now it's legal to a certain extent. It's legal now. If you were, if you were paying guys under the table, you're paying guys on top of the table now. And you can do those things. You just got to disguise it a little more that you're, you're employing these young men as opposed to just giving them money on the side or for the tickets that they, they, they're, 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 they're voluntarily giving you and different things like that. So, um, look, it's something that down South it's regular, you know, we, 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 now we can do it in the open and we call it a collective. It's us, all of these business owners and different people coming together and they call themselves a collective and they're, they're, um, they're looking for the services of these young men to uh, participate in their different businesses and joint ventures and everything like that. But, I mean, hey, NIL, it, it, I, it's about time that these student athletes had an opportunity to get paid, to get something on, to get something in their pockets. Because, look, quite frankly, it wasn't fair. Uh, long, long has it been gone that the grant and aid that you got and the education you got at that institution, that, you know, that should be enough. Now, these student athletes are getting their 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 educations, but they're also getting what they what they deserve as part of what the growing the growing prices at college at, at the college football level. 
uh, the prices and the money that these universities and institutions are getting. So they're a part of it. So I, I like that idea. But that being said, you, you really got to, when the NCAA instituted this, they really needed to put rails on this. They really needed to get in front of this and put rules on top. Now you got the wild, wild west and people are doing it. And you, I mean, institutions as well as states. These are not, these are not, this is not a federal thing. You can't just say now all the states own this. If the state said you can do these things, you can do it. Now, institutions are putting their rails on it themselves. But if you challenge those rules, they wouldn't go through. If the state says you can do it, guess what? The two, school, the two schools in the state of Michigan are state institutions. They're not private schools. So that being said, it's the state that rules, not the, insti- not the universities that say what you can and cannot do. It's the, the state of Michigan that gives you the rights to do things. So that being said, it's going to be tough. And like I said, now, we've decided to do it another way. You, we, 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 um, we've decided this, the, the current players are going to get paid. When you get here, you earn your payment and you play, you get paid. Different idea. These young men, young people look at it. No, that's not what the rest of the college football is doing. So, and it's taken a little bit. And you know what? Eventually, once you figure it out, you, you, you miss on some five stars, some four stars, some guys that you really need, you'll start swimming the right route, I think. That's just my opinion. They'll figure it out. They, they need to figure it out. And we're going we're gonna to need that. Well, you, you mentioned the rails. And that's, to me, that's the big problem. You have universities that are reticent to do certain things that other universities either did before or aren't reluctant to do. And is it is it time that a school like Stanford or a school like Michigan, do they have to bite the bullet now and just say, as, as unpalatable, as unseemly as this seems, it's not illegal. And so we're going to have to do it if we want to compete. I think, it, you know what, to make a long story short, yeah, they're going to have to get into they're going to have to get into the pool like everybody else or they're going to get left behind. Will they? And yeah, um, I think. And I can only speak, I can't speak for Stanford, but I can only speak for Michigan. There is a groundswell right now because people watch the recruits come in. They've seen what goes on. We've had five-star athletes come out. They've had an opportunity to go to ring ceremonies, the Big Ten champion ring ceremonies, and see the pageantry. We can sell all the tradition and history at the University of Michigan as we can. But on top of that, You've got to get into the pool. Now, we're reluctant right now, like you said, Jeff, and kudos to us for for trying this, for trying. But eventually, you're going to have to swim the same route as everybody else, or you're going to have to come up with another idea to make sure that these young men, when look, when a recruit comes in, he wants to talk to two people. He wants to talk to his position coach. Well, he wants to talk to three people. He wants to talk to his position coach, where they have him, what they what they see in him and everything like that. He wants to talk to the head coach talking, and talking about the future. And then he wants to talk to the NIL guy. He wants to find out what his worth is. And those are the three people that he wants to talk to. I mean, obviously, they got to show the campus and different things like that. But those are the people you, you really want to talk to. And until we decide that, that that's what we're going to do. You 
you you miss out on some players that are down with it. I mean, if you go south, you bring a young man up to the University of Michigan, his thought is, I'm going to meet the NIL guy, I'm going to meet the head coach, and I'm going to meet my position coach, you know? And it just right now, that's not happening. You know, you talk about getting in the pool. The The question then becomes, where's the pool going to be located when the music stops? Because we've got realignment going on everywhere. If you're a recruit right now and you're being recruited out of high school by Oregon or Washington or a school in the Pac-10 that who knows where the Pac-10 will be or Pac-12 will be when this is all done do you look away from that school because of that? How does realignment now factor into the decision in addition to NIL? Well, I think in, I, in, in my belief, there's going to either be two or three mega conferences, okay? And so one conference, the ACC or the, or the Big 12, they've got to amass their, their conference really quick, and they got to keep their teams – and they've got to become a mega conference or they're going to get left behind. Right now, you have two, two superpowers, as we call them, the Big Ten and the SEC. And I'm going to say, just, just to say this, I mean, uh, the Big Ten matched the SEC. They went and got USC, and, and now they touch the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, which is a big, everybody goes, how are they going to fly? What, have you heard what the media media compensation will be from Fox and all the other media uh, people that want to be involved. I mean, you're talking about a hundred million dollars a year for each university. And that goes to the department of athletics for each university. So, I mean, I get it. You, UCLA jumped in, jumped in quick in the big 10 pool because they were, they were going to go, they were going to cut sports next year. They, there was no way they could sustain their sports. But now they slap in high five. Them and USC are slapping high five. You know, I'm just going to say this. You know, and I read enough on this. I even talked to my people in Oregon. You know that Phil Knight wants in on one of these mega conferences. And he's going to get Oregon in somehow, some way. That being said, I see Oregon, Oregon and Washington joining one of those, those mega conferences now. Uh, if, if you, and you add Notre Dame to it now, Notre Dame's got to make a choice, but here's what you do. If you're the big 10 and I'm not saying, um, Mr. Warren will do this, but if you're in the big 10 and you want Notre Dame, go, go get, here's what you do. Go get three more out of the, out of the pack, out of the pack. You said it right. Pack 10 <laughs> and, uh, grab Washington, Oregon. And Stanford, what did you just do? You took you took two of the West Coast rivals of Notre Dame each and every year. You got Michigan, Michigan State, that that is a big rivalry for Notre Dame, and you added Ohio State as a potential rivalry game. Every game is big in the Big Ten. If you get it, I mean, obviously they need to change their name, but to the Big Twenty. Or whatever you want to call it, but it's, 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 and then you got the SEC, you know, and I saw this SEC is talking about adding what, what, what they were adding. They were going to add North Carolina, uh, Clemson, uh, Florida state and, um, one other one. Miami. It wasn't Miami. Miami No, 
it wasn't Miami. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was Virginia. They were talking about adding Virginia, which confused me. You were right, Jeff, because I thought Miami too, but they didn't say Miami. So that is, that's, that, that's huge too. Like I said, if you're the big, big 12, you need to put something together. Or if you're the pack, if you're the pack 10 now, you, you, you really got to get, you really got to get your teams together. They are the pack 10 again. <laughs> right. No, you're right. This <laughs> That's week. what I said this week. They could exactly. be the pack seven in a couple of days by the time. Well, this is all Arizona, done. Arizona, Arizona state are talking to uh, the, the big 12 right now. So, I mean, that's that's something that could be pulled off. So yeah, yeah, mean, but in, in this in this day of of athlete student athlete mobility, you have now universities that are mobile. They're literally moving conference to conference. Nobody knows where they're going to end up. If you're a student at one of those schools, imagine you went to I'll just pick one Oregon State, mm-hmm. who is who isn't being mentioned by anybody. Uh, those kids are going to sit there and panic, and they're going to want out. I'm sure that some of those kids are already looking and trying to decide if they're going to enter the transfer portal. Conference realignment and the uncertainty of what's going on literally hour by hour is making college sports even more unstable than it already was. Agreed. Agreed. I look, here's the thing, Jeff, if you're an athletic director and a president, you better be moving, putting your skates on too, because Right now, you better be calling other conferences that are putting things together because, look, this was foreseen if you look at it. The Big 12 brought in West Virginia, for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. Really? We should have saw this coming a while ago. Now, the Big 10 wanted to keep the traditional. The Big 10 brought in Rutgers. I'm a Rutgers guy. But I mean, when the Big 10 brings in Rutgers and comes to the East Coast, you know it's not what it was. No, you're right. And the, the Rutgers brings what? The New York media. Which is New what? York media market. Which and is what excites what them about UCLA and USC yeah, is they get in the LA exactly. market. So then it get back to the TV contracts you're talking about. And look, as a Rutgers fan, I won't mind a trip out to LA for a rivalry game. I'll get to go see the big house for a game that never would have mattered when Rutgers mm-hmm. plays there. So for me, as a school that wasn't a conference that wasn't as big in the Big East when they were there. Now I'm in with bigger schools. I wonder how the big boys that have been in these conferences feel about all these guys just trying to glom on to what they've made. How does a Michigan feel about all of this or a Michigan State or the original Ohio State? I know you guys don't care about how Ohio State feels, so I don't want to mention them in anything. No, no, no. One hand claps the other. I get it with that rivalry and being a player and all of that, but I get it. It's one hand claps the other. We need we, – we, look, they needed us to win. No matter what you hear the current fans say, we want to keep beating them. No, they needed that loss to make this rivalry even bigger. That game in Columbus this year is going to be huge, especially if these two teams come together and only only uh, they have only one defeated and it's all for the money. You know what I'm saying? So this is that that rivalry we I mean, I tell you Lorenzo White is one of my closest friends. We love that when the two teams in, at mid-season are undefeated because it makes that game it becomes a national game, not a regional game. It becomes a national game. And Michigan, Michigan State should be a national game. But we need everybody to win so we can make it a national game. So it's important. And I get it. And everybody everybody thinks you hate Michigan State. You win. No, 
I don't hate Michigan State. I just I don't cheer for them, but I'd like to see them win because it it it, it intrigues it intrigues the nation more. Jeff's still hung up on the so for Ohio State. So yeah, well, that. you know what? I I'm I, I'm looking for the <laughs> Jamie Morris too. So I just registered that. Right, well, the Jamie you know? Morris. You mentioned the the transfer portal, and I mean some numbers in 2021. The number grew to 12 percent for FCS, and 16 percent of FBS players entered the transfer portal. But only five mm-hmm. out of every ten actually find a new school to play for. Sure. Well, what's it like for these kids? You know, if, if somebody was on your team and they said, I'm so good, I'm going to leave and go someplace else, and then no place else wanted them, and they come back to your school. Like, we always talk about what happens to the kids that go and find the greener pastures. What about the kids who can't, who overrate themselves? Like, is, well, What's the transfer portal effect these days on these schools, especially with the movement where when you're at a school that isn't in a conference you thought they were going to be all of a sudden, you can just up and go? Well, now you've got to be edu- you've got to educate yourself as a student athlete, and you've got to have the right people around you. Mom and dad can't say, "Oh, you're better than them, honey." I've seen you play. No, that doesn't work anymore. That doesn't cut it. And you're a judge of talent yourself as a student athlete. You better damn well know that you're better. You're a better player than anybody on this team, and the coach is not playing me for this reason and that reason. If you have those problems, then get into the transfer portal. If you don't, you better man up and say. I ain't going nowhere. I got to get bigger, stronger, and and ball. Because here's it, like you said, they've taken it, and if they're not playing right now, look, I would have put rails on the transfer portal too. You can transfer. You only get to transfer one time, or you put the rails on it and say you get to transfer one time, and you can you can go you can go after your sophomore year. You, you got to guarantee a kid needs to stay there for one year, especially the freshman year, because you're, you're away from mom and dad. You're away from all of your friends. And, and you're, you, you tear away from your real life, and you go to an artificial life. And, you know, you're, you're, you're 18 years old. You're scared. You don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I, did I want to go home as a freshman? Sure. And I was playing. So, I mean, yeah, I get it. But once you get, once you get comfortable and everything like that, whether you played or not, you're learning and you're growing, and you got that. You, you got to get that. You got to get into that weight room because eighteen year olds. As much as we say he's a freshman and look at him playing, right? You very far and few players play like that. I'm sorry, it's redshirt freshmen that play. I'm sorry, and the, and the TV guys got to say it's a redshirt. They got to explain what a redshirt freshman is. He was in school for a whole year, did not play. And he got to play as a red shirt freshman. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it confuses everybody because everybody's going to say, why aren't you playing? Now, the fortunate thing for me, everybody goes, you played as a freshman. The guy ahead of me, just two guys ahead of me. One guy was academically ineligible after the second game of the season. And the other guy put his arm through a plate glass window. So, yeah, they came to me. I be, I was fortunate enough to beat the two guys out in front of me. And I was third string, and I was the kick returner. Then I got to play, and it happens. But if I look back at that, boy, I should have been redshirted my freshman year. It would have been great. And, you know, you think about that. But that's water under the bridge. And the transfer portal, it gives you the same authority as a coach does. Remember, your coach can come and go as he pleases. If somebody buys out his contracts and brings them to a university, 
He just leaves the kids there. So that's what a kid can do. It gives him the right to up and leave. Look, coach, you and I, we ain't cutting it, but you better know what you're doing before you do it. Now, you can go back and revisit all those schools that were recruiting you, and that's great. You can use that, but understand, make sure that those those schools still have a love for you before you enter the transfer portal. Transfer portal is a great tool for these young people, but use it. It, it, it's again, you've got to have the right people behind you. You've got to have, and you, I, I dare I say, you've got to have a responsible adult that understands the transfer portal now. Can't well, yeah, say agent. And, and I'm going to push back just a little bit because you, you said, you said that if you had it to do over, you wish you were a red shirt. That's the benefit of wisdom and time and all of yeah, the experience right. and, and, and playing professional football and all of that stuff. These 18, 19 year old kids, they're kids and they want now. And they and they right. see that not only do they see playing time now, now they see NIL money and now they see they can they can get drafted earlier. And they all, you know, every single athlete who goes and plays college football, who gets a scholarship, thinks that they can they can be a pro. And so the, the immediacy of what they need and what they want they're not going to buy it. They're not going to. You couldn't pass a red shirt rule nowadays the way that existed 30 years ago. You could if everybody was in the fold, but you can't because you're right. It's genie out of the bottle. You can't get her back in. That's the problem. You can't do things anymore because it's old school. It's it's tradition. It's all of these things. But yes, if if they put the rails in front before they opened it up, you're right, Jeff, kids would have listened, and they still do. Kids want discipline. But if you give them, okay, go play, they're going to go pick the best toys. I'm using that because of my two-year-old. They want the best toys. They don't. They're not, I mean, the best, and how do they know what the best toys are? Well, because the other kids are playing with them. Sometimes the best toy is the new toy that gets their attention, and that's the problem is, you know, you have somebody who gets to a place and they decide they're not getting what they thought they would. So they'll go find something that they think is better. And it may not be. No, you're, you're my dad has always told me this. The first choice is the best choice. Why did you go there? You felt comfortable there. You felt you, you, you liked the coach. You, you, you heard all the things he said to you. Look, I joked about the, and there I say, coach Moeller rest his, rest his soul, yeah. uh, who just passed away. I, you know, we, we, we t- there's a lot of players Gary Moeller brought to the University of Michigan. A lot of them wanted to go home. But Mo, they went and saw Mo before, before they went home. And look, most of them stayed. And they played. And a lot of these guys played in the league and different. And they thank Gary Moeller. He'll be, the, the, his, his visitation is today. And they'll be over, um, they'll be over 200 former players down in Lima, Ohio, to make to make their showing. I mean, that's how loved he, he, he was. So before we finish up, I did want to ask you, you know, we, we've talked about the, the changes of the landscape. I grew up watching the Rose Bowl. I mm-hmm. love the Rose Bowl, the pump. Jamie played in it. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Look, they, they, I'm lucky they let me watch it. So I had no chance of playing in the game. I know that. But 
what's going to happen to the tradition? I get that the tradition of bowl games itself is not what it used to be. Bowl season is now a year and a half long. It starts after you finish the last games. But a game like the Rose Bowl, when you would have had a USC, UCLA potentially playing a Michigan, Ohio State, now they're all from the Big Ten side. What happens to the tradition of bowl games like that going forward? Well, the tradition of the Rose Bowl will change. They will still have a game, trust me, but it'll be mega conferences versus one another. It'll be the the runner-ups to from mega conference one to mega conference two because the winners of the mega conference will be in the uh, the the final four of the um, you know the semifinals of the of the college football playoffs. I mean, look, the Rose Bowl had an opportunity to be a major part in this bowl game, getting a choice to be a um, a national championship representative and have it every four years, every five years. And Rose Bowl knows what they, they need to do. Look, every, it's not just the bowl games. It's not just the players. It's not, it's the conferences. It's all of them. Everybody's got to get on board to what's coming. I mean, look, they talked about having college. I mean, Division One, Division One college football, getting away from the NCAA and running their own, running their own division of that. And you know, there's a possibility of that happening. I know a lot of athletic directors are pushing it. That being said, I mean, and universities, because the athletic directors don't push anything unless their bosses are behind them. And you saw, because everybody was saying, there's no way USC and UCLA is going to get in. You don't think that they work behind behind the, the uh, behind the walls and everything to get that done very quickly? That got signed pretty quick. So you so USC and UCLA knew that they can entice the Big Ten. The, the one athletic and, director, uh, it was either I think it was UCLA's athletic director was literally on a panel with other athletic directors, and yeah. the next day is when it came out that they were moving. It was crazy. It was. And it's going to be even crazier. I, this is not over. Get ready. It's going to be a ride for until at least till 2024. 20, at least till. I mean, when, when look at when Texas, Oklahoma leaves the SEC, when USC, UCLA leaves the, 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 uh, pack, the Pac-12, it's still, it's still forming. It's still, I don't, we're not done. Musical chairs are not done. This is just getting started because like I said, Oregon, Washington, uh, Stanford, California, UCLA is bucking for California to get into U- University of California because that's a school. They want them in there. Uh, I, look, it's going to be, I mean, we're still, they're not done yet. The formation of this, these mega conferences. That's why I said, Two to three. I think there's going to be three. All right. Well, Jamie, we really appreciate you giving us the time to, to give us your opinions and your insight on all the things that are going on in college football. It's going to keep happening. So we're yeah. going to keep asking you to come back. Um, well, you know, I'm available. I'm sorry. I got a radio show to do three to six <laughs> Monday through Friday. But hey, and it's called the M Zone, WTKA.com. If you want to listen to it. The ticket. Or- Go to the podcast if you'd like to. We always appreciate the time. We'll share that out for everybody. And uh, you take care of yourself. We'll see what Michigan does and uh, see what Rutgers does trying to compete with you guys. Wait, 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 Jason. Say Uh it for us. Go Blue.
no. Come on, Jason. You can say it. You can I say it. It's okay. Show. Come on, I, I can't say it with the enthusiasm that you do. Just you, say you it. Come on. Just it. say just it one time. It. Go below. There, there we go. There you go. You'll get used to it. Hey, there's a little Michigan in everybody's heart. Does it get more comfortable the more you say it? Because it kind of got stuck in my throat as I was choking it out there. Thanks so much, Jamie. You have a great day, man. Jason and Jeff. You guys have a great day. Enjoy and go blue. There you go. Thanks, man. Jeff, what fun getting to talk to him. And I'll apologize now. I didn't mean to make the Michigan man look bad with the research. He wasn't the all-time rushing leader anymore. But it led to something that I disagree with. There is no way that shoelaces should be listed as a running back. Come on, man. He was a quarterback. He was the quarterback at the University of Michigan. He became a running back when he went to the Jaguars. Yes. So you don't you don't go back in time and say, okay, if he became something else at a different level, we're going to move him to another category. Does that mean that it's okay what, that I screwed up my point? research? Well, I don't think, I, look, I don't really understand the point anyway. It's not that big a deal because it's just rushing yards. So I don't know. It, Wikipedia needs to up its game, or at least we need to be able to clarify exactly how uh, or, we're going to put something your in there. How's that? Or your co-host needs to know oh. how to read Wikipedia. It may not how, be did you, how did you do on the comprehension part of the SAT? Let's just say that I took the SAT more than once, okay? <laughs> you could have just said I got an 800 on that part. Nobody would have been the wiser. I could have, but at this point in my life, I've accepted who I am, Jeff. So it's not really that big of a deal. You know, more importantly with the interview, though, than my SAT scores, I think he's right. I think we're heading to three huge conferences. It's all about the money. Like he said... A hundred million dollars a year for these teams will allow them to fly, quote, student athletes from California to Piscataway for a fencing match or a, you know, a gymnastics tournament or what in addition to football and basketball and everything else. What are your thoughts on where he sees it going? Look, I think you know me well enough to know by now that while I agree in progress in society, uh, I'm not sure that there's progress in sports. And so, and so societal issues, I am totally for wanting to be in the present versus the past. As far as sports, can somebody please take me back to like 1986 to 1990? Are you like That's- the old bowl season where there was like four big bowl games? They were all around New Year's Day. No, it wasn't that they were all around. They were all on New Year's Day. Yes. So so when I was in college, I, I have a group of friends that we back then would go over someone's house and bring small TVs, plug them all in, put up the antennas and have multiple games on at one time. I just love that. that. And that was fun. That was a love of sports and that was bowls. And for me, when you were in the Big Ten or you were in at the time, the Pac-10, it was funny that you, the, the younger guy, was calling it the Pac-10. They still but, are. I can't go with the name changes. They're not accurate branding. But back then, that was the mission. The mission was get to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl was, it was all of it. It was the pageantry of, of the parade in the morning. It was getting ready for the game. It was, you go back and look at what is one of the most famous photos from a Michigan football game. It's Charles Woodson with the rose in his mouth. You know, th- that's that's what we all loved back then. No, no, no. It, we, you, the Michigan people. It's bad no, enough no, you no. got me to say no, go I, blue. I think, I th- no, I think most people of my generation 
look at those, the bowl games, when the bowl games mattered. The problem is when the playoff came, the bowl games didn't matter anymore. So we can say that we'll, we'll call them bowl games, even though they're semifinals and stuff like that. They're not bowl games. I actually just get rid of it at this point. I actually think it was the marketing and branding when it became the Tostitos Festival and the FedEx Orange Bowl that started to do it as much as it did expanding to all the bowl games. I think that so was are, the commercialization so so that, of the bowl games. So, so um, I know somebody that is brand loyal and very proud of it. Are you a brand loyal? Depends on the brand. Uh, there are certain things that you like, you are even sitting on whether sitting no, on okay. So like, do you want an oil. example? Like, I, I yeah. prefer Diet Pepsi than Diet Coke, but I'm not right. like I'll only have a Pepsi brand. So you could say that I'm sitting on a fence. I call it being honest with you. Sorry for trying to answer the questions you ask rather than ignoring them like you do on the okay. show. Okay, all right. So uh, now we know that that in Pittsburgh. The field is being changed. Go ahead, say it the name. No longer acupuncture field. field or something like that. It's now. not acupuncture <laughs> field. It's agrisure. I think it is close. But uh, look, I, I can't blame Heinz for not wanting to pay like ten times what they were paying. Will you stop using Heinz now? Absolutely not. No, but you know no, what? You no, know who missed an opportunity. No. I don't think anybody is buying Heinz because it's Heinz Field. So from that perspective, I don't think that Heinz really loses much. And I'm sure that they will continue. They've already announced that they continue to be involved with the Steelers and with the community because it is that. But that field, I can guarantee you, not out of me being stubborn and obstinate. Yes, I am both of those. So don't say it. I'll just say it for you. The fact is, I will be calling that Heinz Field all year and next year. Do you know who missed the biggest opportunity? Who? French's. They could have branded their mustard really well after this. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining That's... us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday. We're not getting French's. Start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>